Well, hey, good morning. Just a clarification. I, we started a church inside of the cell block. I didn't start, yeah, I didn't start the bar. Some people, people got confused. They, you know, they thought maybe there was a covered charge for church or things like that. Had one guy came in that thought it was actually open, like the cell block was open, and he asked me for a Long Island iced tea. And I laughed because people make jokes, you know, and then he was going to punch me. So it was an interesting time. Hi, everybody. My name is Andy, uh, and uh, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, I work for the mission uh, as the chaplain, and I got, uh, I took, I got a haircut uh, yesterday. Getting prepped. I wanted to look pretty for you. And uh, I got my hair cut and I went up to pay and a lady is like, oh, I gave you a discount. I was like, oh, that's nice. She said, well, it wasn't a full haircut. <laughs> like a rude. So I hurt myself. Uh, that's why it's not a purse. Uh, this is a sling. Um, I was lifting weights and uh, I mean, I had a massive amount of weight on the bar, and uh, I was in it. My pectoral muscle ripped uh, between the tendon. Anybody just eat breakfast? It ripped between the tendon and the pectoral muscle, and kind of away from the bone. And they went in, and they had to like put me all back together. And but on the, I had to get an MRI, so they said go down to the building next to the women's hospital in Hammond. And that's about where I quit listening. I'm like, okay, I'll just go down there. I'm sure there's like one, you know. There's like a 10. But I went down there and I walked in the, and I walked in the, it was like seven in the morning. There's nobody there. And I'm like, oh man, I don't even know what floor I'm supposed to go on to get this MRI. And this guy came around the corner. I was like, oh, do you know where to get an MRI? He's like, yeah, sure. Follow me. I'm the courier. I know everybody in the building. It's up here on fifth floor. So we get an elevator. We go up. He's like, yeah, just sign your name. Paula will be right with you. Well, he knows Paula. So I must be in the right place. I, I sit down. I wait. Paula, apparently, came out. She, Andrew Kerr. I'm the only one. I'm the only one in the Andrew Kerr. Can I help you? Like, well, I'm here for an MRI. She's like, this is the breast exam place. <laughs> and I've come to the right place. No, no, I <laughs> had to find the right place. Almost right is not right. That's the lesson learned. Almost right uh, is not right. And we're going to pursue Christ with everything that's in us to run the race. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 today. And in the pursuit of running the race and following Christ, we, we want to get it right and follow him with everything that's in us. That we leave it all on the, on the field. That, that, that we follow into his arms at the end of the race, hearing those words that we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to get this right as we pursue Christ. It reminds me of a story that almost right is not right. There was a young man that wanted to congratulate his friends who had just got married, and so he sent them a card, and he said, congratulations on your wedding. 1 John 4.19, which is... Perfect love casts out all fear. But he didn't write 1 John 4.19. He wrote John 4.19. John 4.19 says, You have had five husbands, and the man that you are now with is not your husband. 
Almost right is not right. Honey, what? Just imagine. So we want to run the race with perseverance. So we're going to look at Hebrews. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, it's going to be up here on the screen. Um, Anybody use the Bible app? Two? Okay. That's all right. Moving into the technology here at First Alliance. I called, I called, I prayed for First Assembly this morning. Uh, it's like, Which they need prayer too, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I got an argument with somebody that was saying that they didn't like the Bible app because it's not really the Bible. I'm like, I think it says all the same stuff. Look, but you can't memorize like pages of scripture. I mean, Christians find everything to argue about, right? So I'm like, yeah, but it's all that it says. The I thought, I wonder if they had the same argument when they went from the scroll to the book. <laughs> well, like we can't look at large portions of scripture all at the same time. I was like, you know, it's a lot like the scroll. Bible app. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This is the NIV. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Bible and the author here is talking about that this is a race that we're in and not like a race that we're usually racing around in life, speeding from one place to another and and trying to get to places in a hurry and living our life in a hurry. He said, run with perseverance, that this is a long distance race, but we need to be running it. We need to give everything that we have to this race. That we're not to sit on the couch, that we're not to walk or we're not to slow jog, but this is a run, but we're to do it with perseverance, to follow Christ with everything that we have. That when we are done, we fall into his arms at that finish line and, and long for those words, well done. But along the way, the scripture, the author is warning us that there are some things that hinder us and sin that entangles us. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus who started us in this race, who is the author and perfecter. That he's going to carry us through until we finish. But those things, those, what are the things that hinder us? And I was thinking about this. And so today's sermon is going to be about the things that hinder us. What is hindering us? What is slowing you down? What is the sin that entangles us? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you know that you have a race that's marked out for you? That God has you here on purpose that you exist for a reason, that God made you to be who you are with your gifts and your talents, that he has a particular plan and purpose for you here. Do you know that? Have you grasped that? Sometimes to think about that, that the God of the universe, the God that put everything in motion, the God that loves us is the same God that cares about every single detail of my life. Do you, to me, that's huge. It's a little overwhelming to think that God has a particular plan, that he's got things for me to do. He's wired me and made me. I've got the experiences that only I can reach certain people. 
I want you to hear that today that you are here on purpose. Even if somebody dragged you here this morning against your will, <laughs> against your will that I believe that God has a purpose for you too. And I'm, I pray that maybe this morning, a little piece of that. But sometimes there's things that hinder us, things that have happened to us. And so if you can imagine running a race. Uh, I ran track in the 80s. Anybody run track in the 80s? Nobody ran track in the 80s. How many are refusing to admit you grew up in the 80s? Okay. So two hands. I love to do surveys, so apparently that didn't work in the other service either, so I'm not, I don't know why I tried again. Okay. I ran track in the 80s. In the 80s, we wore some apparel that was very small. I guess they wanted to really cut down on drag. The shorts were really tiny. <laughs> But that's how it was, you know, it's just what, it's just, it was the, fa- I don't know, it was a stupid fashion, but it was the fashion. But in the Greek culture, that's not what they didn't have the 80s in mind. The author has the Greek culture in mind. When they competed in games, they did not wear small apparel. They wore no apparel. They, they ran naked. I don't know if you caught that. They ran, they were, that's how they did. And so it's weird that the author is actually bringing to mind to the reader. I mean, listen, folks, I'm sorry for the image, but that's the Bible, okay? They ran naked. <laughs> and so the author uses this terminology, throw up everything that hinders and the sin that can entangle you, the things that slow us down. So what are the things that slow you down? What are the things that are hindering you? If you can imagine the image of trying to run a race in a snowmobile suit. Do you remember the Christmas story and the little brother? And he was like, that's, you know, it's hard to run a race like that. What do we need to throw off? Or I thought about maybe trying to run with an arm full of, of rocks. So what are the rocks in your life that you need to drop in order to run this race with perseverance? So I believe... Uh, I have five. They all start with P because that is what pastors do. Okay, alliteration. Here we go. So the first one is your past. The first one is your past. Are you holding on to your past or are you letting it go? Your past does not need to determine your future. I'm going to say that again. Your past does not need to determine your future. I went kayaking uh, one time uh, in Edinburgh, and you're thinking, where would you kayak in Edinburgh? Well, you can't, unless Big Connie of Tea is at flood stage, okay? And my brother and I thought it was an awesome idea, since it was at flood stage, that we should kayak on it, okay? And so it was fall, so it was cold, um, and it was uh, really rushing down behind uh, Edinburgh University there. And he had like a really wide lake kayak, and I had like a, so I borrowed a river kayak. Do you guys know what a river kayak is? Yeah, I didn't either. It is one of those kayaks that you see when they're on the Colorado River, and they're like, and then they flip under, and then they flip, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, I only knew half of that trick. (laughs) So we're going... (laughs) So we're going down through the brush, and I started to get all tangled up and, and, and impeded by this brush, and then uh, I did half of my trick. Boop. I went under, and I, you know, the kayak, I don't know, it, it was really tight. It was hard to get in. You know, I almost had to put it on. It was so tight. And here I am upside down in cold water behind Edinburgh University, 
uh, tangled up in a bunch of brush. And I think, I'm going to die here. I'm having these thoughts. I'm upside down. My head's like, I'm like, I'm going to die behind Edinburgh University. This is a horrible, this is not how I wanted to go. This is not how I wanted to end. And so I did what any normal person would do. I panicked. All right. I freaked out and I wiggled out of the kayak. I stood up. The water was only up to here. <laughs> My brother's over on, the, over on this safe part. He was like laughing at me. But I had this imagery that there are things in our past, if we don't deal with them, they, they impede our progress in our, in our walk or our journey or in this race of following Christ. And there are some things, the sin that can entangle us. That if we don't deal with that stuff, that stuff is the stuff that can sink us in this race. So the question is, what is in our past that we haven't dealt with? Do we need to drop that rock? Are we holding on to stuff that we need to let go? There's a a story in in the book of Matthew in in chapter 18 about the king that wanted to settle his debts. Are you familiar with the story? He called in this guy who owed him 10,000 talents. So 10,000 was like the biggest unit of uh, numbers and, and talent was the biggest unit of money. And what he was saying was this guy had a debt that he couldn't pay back. Millions of dollars. In his lifetime, he couldn't ever pay it back. And he begs the king, please let me. Uh, Give me time. I'll pay it back. And the king, what does he do? He forgives him, right? The whole thing. And lets him go. And how does the guy respond to that? This is an awesome story. He goes and he finds somebody that owes him 100 denarii, which is like 100 days wages, which is significant, but nothing compared to what he owed the king. What did he do? He choked the guy and threw him in prison. Did you ever ask yourself why? Why did he choke the guy? Why did he respond to that? What is he thinking? He was just forgiven $10 million of debt. And some guy that owes him 2000 bucks is going to choke him. And I believe the answer is that he still hadn't accepted the forgiveness of the king. He was still trying to pay the king back. He never accepted his forgiveness. And to me, that was huge because how many times have I done something and I've held on to it and I've held on to the guilt and I've held on to the shame and I've held on to those things and they drug me down and they kept me from my relationship with God and the whole time I'm trying to do good things. I'm trying to grovel and I'm trying to pay the king back and the king is saying, I forgave you, just accept my forgiveness. And oftentimes when I'm in that unforgiving state, I'm not forgiving the people that have hurt me. Somebody said once that holding on to unforgiveness in our life is like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. We've got to let go of the past. It's like what we sang about or or what we read about in Psalm 116 about the chains are broken. He set us free. Christ went to the cross so that we could be forgiven. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Paul said in Philippians 3, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I mean, that's freedom. That's why this is the best story in the world. This is... That's why we call it good news. We're free. We don't have to hold on to that. We don't have to let that bog us down in this race. We can let go of that. Repair those relationships and move forward in freedom with Christ and with those who have hurt us. It's like the rearview mirror. 
That's why it's small and the windshield is big. If we just stared into the rearview mirror, we would go into the ditch. But it's okay to glance to see where you've been, but we need to continue to move forward and look forward. Our past. The second one, our present pain. Are we medicating our pain or are we meditating through our pain? Philippians 4 says that be anxious about nothing but in everything with prayer. We get to use our pain in life as a prompting to pray, to turn to God when we feel that pain in our life. You can grow from it rather than just dealing with it. So what do you do when you face insecurity, when you face fear in life, loneliness or anger or somebody has hurt you? How do you deal with your pain? How do you manage your pain? Oftentimes, how we deal with it determines how well we can move forward and run this race. Sometimes we're just medicating it. Maybe that's just by avoiding it. A difficult conversation we need to have and we just avoid it. Has that ever happened to you at work? Never? <laughs> In your family? We're just, ah, you know, maybe we'll have that conversation tomorrow. And we've become so good at, at avoiding. Or maybe we just go to work when things are tough at home. Or maybe we just stay home when things are tough at work. Or maybe we're medicating in different ways or very destructive ways with drugs, with alcohol, with pornography. Those, those kind of things that we're trying to numb our pain, trying to forget what's going on. The thing is, I work in addiction recovery. And when you stop drinking or when you stop whatever it is that you're using to medicate your pain, guess what? All the problems are there still. But now you don't have your coping mechanism to deal with them. And so you have to actually begin to work through them. And that's what people do in addiction recovery. And I think it's so important for the church to learn something from AA and NA. That we have to deal with this stuff. Begin to look at things Give it over to God to begin to pray and ask God to take them. But maybe even change our perspective on pain. You know, the, the Bible, James says in chapter 1. Everybody still with me? We're good? It's quiet in here. Okay. <laughs> James says, count it all joy or pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. You know what I want to say to James? Shut up. I mean... When you read a scripture like that, you're like, amen. No, it, it makes me anxious because I, I don't feel like I face trials with all kinds of joy. You know, Paul says, we glory even in our sufferings. I, I am often not there. I don't know how you deal with pain. None of us are looking for it. But if we can change our perspective on pain and suffering in life, what the scripture writers are trying to say is if, if they could tell us and say, if you knew just how much good God can do with our suffering and pain, if you knew how he's training us and molding us by our suffering and our pain and our difficult circumstances, if you knew how great those things work for our good to mold us and shape us into Christ, if you could see that while you're in the middle of it, you could say, bring it on. You could say, I consider it all joy. And I believe the, the, the scripture writers were there. They saw it. 
And I pray for that day that I can look at those circumstances and realize God is training me and molding me. Do you know there's no wasted pain in your life? There's no wasted tear. God will turn all things for good for those who trust him and love him and are called according to his purpose. Nothing we've been through, no pain or suffering does God waste in our life. It's important for us to realize that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. When we start seeing our suffering and our difficulties, and we can gain hope from that, we can speak love and truth and encouragement into somebody's life that is going through that same thing. Our past, our present pain, are you passing the blame? That's the third one. Are you accusing or accepting? Brutal honesty helps us embrace reality. So if you're taking notes, brutal honesty, I see a lot of, that's good, thank you. Brutal honesty helps us embrace reality. I went to this uh, conference called uh, Crucial Conversations Conference. Anybody been to Philly? Okay, sweet, awesome. You guys are getting better at the survey. So we... I was in Philly, and I went to this conference, or Crucial Conversations, based on a book about how to deal with difficult conflict uh, and how to deal with it well. That oftentimes when it matters most, we're at our worst, okay? And so that's what the conference is about. But I, I stayed at, uh, they had a complimentary rate at the hotel of $279 a night. Uh, and so I chose not through their compliment. And I uh, did the Airbnb thing. You know what Airbnb is? That's that app where you... Sign up and you stay in somebody rent, somebody's random's house. Um, it was interesting. <laughs> so this woman, I, that's what I did, $80 a night, not bad. So uh, this woman was, this has nothing to do with my sermon. This woman uh, was from Bulgaria uh, and she had a room and she was renting to me for the week and then she had a brain surgeon there uh, that was sleeping in the room right next to me and he was from Iran uh, but he was staying in Toronto. Uh, he lived in Toronto, and then he was doing his residency. And then they were, had a party for the brain surgeon because he was going away. So the lady from Bulgaria invited her friend from Latvia to a happy hour, invited me to come, um, and invited... So they were celebrating the guy from Iran uh, who lived in Toronto, the brain surgeon. We drove there in a cab with an Indian guy, and we went to an Asian restaurant. It was the most multicultural experience I've ever had. But the point is, I went to this conference, and at the conference, um, they were talking about in crucial conversations, when we have conflict, oftentimes we make ourselves, we tell ourselves a story that we're the victim. That this problem, and we make oftentimes the the second level of that is turning the other person kind of into, into a villain. And they said, if you find yourself stuck in the, in, the, in, in the victim story, this is the question you need to ask yourself. And I believe this applies to the issue when we want to blame everybody else for our problems instead of being brutally honest. Ask yourself this question. What am I pretending not to notice about my role in the problem? What am I pretending not to notice about my role in the problem? See, again, if I could start a church called Sinners Anonymous, I would invite all of us because I believe the church needs to take a page out of addiction recovery because what we do in addiction recovery is we own our problems. I'm an alcoholic. 
I'm this, I'm that. I struggle with codependency. I struggle with pornography. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. And it shows us reality. We can't get to where God wants us to be if we don't know where we are. If you're traveling from Grove City to New York City, you just take I-80, right? But if you think you're in Grove City, but you're actually in Pittsburgh, you're never going to get going the right direction. You're never going to get to New York City. And that's what happens when we're blaming everybody else for our problems. When we're not owning our responsibility, we're not living in reality. If we're not living in reality, we'll never get to where we need to be, where God wants us to be. That's like when you travel I-80, you pull off before GPS. There was the map, right? You look for the little triangle. What did the triangle say? You are here. (laughs) Yeah. The only way you get to you are here is if you're brutally honest with yourself and stop passing blame. Number four, problem people. So dealing with your past, your present pain, not passing blame. And the fourth thing you need to drop or the rock that you need to drop is problem people. You got any problem people in your life? You need to drop them. (laughs) Are there people that are dragging you down in your life that, that continue to cause problems that you find out when you're going off the path, that person is always there with you, cheering you on? That doesn't mean that we stop hanging out with people that are far from God. We we need to. That's what Christ did. But who is in your inner circle? Who are the people that you're allowing to speak into your life? What kind of people are they? John Maxwell would say in his 11th law of leadership, the inner circle, those closest to you determine the level of your success. So who are you letting speak into your life? Oftentimes, if those people don't have your best interest in mind, it's like crabs in a bucket. When a crab starts to get to the top, they grab his foot and pull him down. And oftentimes, that's what happens when we have people around us that don't have our best interests in mind. So three questions for the kind of people you want in your inner circle. Do they follow Christ? Do they have the kind of character qualities that you want in your life? I work with a, a former uh, employee of this church uh, down at the mission, Pastor Rick Crocker, a uh, decent fellow. And uh, <laughs> I just got to say, every time uh, I say I work with Rick Crocker, everybody's like, oh, you work with Rick Crocker. <laughs> Anyways. Super annoying. Okay. (laughs) Do they have the kind of qualities that you want in your life? And the third thing, are they going to tell you the truth? Are they going to be straight with you? Are they going to tell you when you're going off the path and do it in love? Do they have your best interest in mind? That's the kind of people that you want. Proverbs says, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Those are the kind of people that you want speaking into your life. When you're running this race and you're giving it everything that you've got, you want those kind of people that are going to help you stay on the path, help you be influential, help you be the kind of follower of Christ that God wants you to be. And finally, number five, the fifth rock that you need to drop 
Are you willing to pay the price? A lot, of, a lot of people aren't willing to do what it takes to sacrifice, to make the sacrifices, to continue to run with perseverance. It's hard. The race is hard. Long-distance races are difficult. Are you willing to do what it takes to train and, and, and become the kind of follower of Christ that God wants you to be? Are you willing to give up so that you can grow up? There's a cost involved. Just recently, uh, my whole life, I kind of struggle with, I don't kind of struggle with ADD. I do really struggle with it, actually. But uh, one of the things that's always been difficult for me is to do life in a regimented way, to, to, to actually have a kind of discipline in my life. And I've always done uh, my devotions and, and working out at different times in my life. And in February, I started to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I know. To do my devotion for an hour and then to work out. And the working out thing went uh, horribly wrong. <laughs> so now I have two hours to do devotions. God has a plan. <laughs> but I hate morning. I've always hated it. The ch- birds are chirping and everybody seems happy and it's, I hate it. But in my work, that I work during the day, if I'm ever going to become the person that God wants me to be, I have to invest the time in those things that I know will get me there. And there are times where you have to give up things and sacrifice things in order to become the people that he wants us to be. And the race is hard, and I'm so grateful to be here this morning. One of the joys of my job is that I get to travel all over the county and, and, and worship with churches, big and small. My wife is leading worship for a church right now down in the city of about 30 people. And it's awesome to worship with them and, and to see what God is doing in and through them and to come to a church where there's 800 or 1,000 people. To see what God's doing in the body of Christ and and praying for for the body of Christ to work together to to meet the needs of the city. There's still thousands of people that don't know Christ yet. And it matters how we run this race. It matters that those things that we're holding on to, we drop them so that we can continue to become the people that God has created us and wants us to be. So that when we run this race, people see that we love Christ. And that we're not perfect, but we're striving and running towards him. And that we work together as the body of Christ in this city. And we joked about me praying for First Assembly this morning because I got it wrong. But that's the kind of stuff that we actually need to be doing. That we're on the same team, that we're working for the good of those. The the city right now, there's 30% poverty. That's almost one in three people in our city living in poverty right now. And the church should be leading the way in the way that we deal with the struggles and the pains that are afflicting our culture. Be the first ones to reach hands across any kind of divide to show the love of Christ. We should be the first. And I know that it's hard and we get weary and sometimes we get stuck. My prayer for you today is that you begin to drop those rocks that are holding you back that you would feel the freedom that is only found in Christ Jesus. And that we look to him 
we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he saw the joy of being reunited with us as his highest calling and joy. In his sacrifice, he paid the price. He made the ultimate sacrifice to be with us and to give us a life that we don't deserve because of his death and his resurrection. And he set us free so that we can run this race to reach those that are still far from him.